podcast. Today, I am excited to introduce Ian Kramer, also known as a plant-based cyclist. Thank you for joining me today, Ian. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm, it's, it's a thrill. It's just another person to hear your story of how the simple thing called plants has changed your life. So could you, you know, let's just dive right in and tell us a little bit about you and your journey into finding this type of lifestyle. Sure, absolutely. So I'm speaking to you from Rochester, New York, and I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, for the first 22 years of my life, I pretty much ate what everyone else ate with, with I wouldn't say with not a thought of what I ate. I was, you know, from the age of probably 15 or 16, I st that's about the time when I started to uh, ride my bike a little bit more seriously. And about that time, I got really interested in how nutrition could help me become a better cyclist. Um, so, you know, I did sort of the traditional things, went to high school, played a few sports, soccer, basketball, baseball, and went to undergrad and got a, earned a bachelor's degree in athletic training from Alfred University, went directly on to graduate school, earned a master's degree uh, in kinesiology and health from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And um, after that, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia for a couple years. And let me, let me backtrack. In Miami is when I made my transition to a plant-based lifestyle. In December, Christmas of 2010, my younger brother, who actually lives here in Rochester, he got me the, the movie Forks Over Knives. And at this point, I had been riding pretty competitively for a little while and very interested in nutrition. And I watched the movie Forks Over Knives, and I watched it back to back. I, it, it ended, and I watched it, and I pressed play again, and I, and I watched it again because I thought, this is unbelievable. This can't be true. Um, it blew my mind. So that was what thing, got things started. And I always encourage people to, the first thing you do, I think, would be easy. Watch a movie. Watch Forks Over Knives and just be receptive. So watch Forks Over Knives and um, pretty much said my, one of the guys, Mac Danzig, is one of the athletes who is highlighted in Forks Over Knives. And I said, well, you know what? I, if this guy can do it, I can do it, and I want to be a better athlete, and hey, if I'm healthier for it long term, if I can live to be 100, great. That's a side effect. It's icing on the cake. So at the time, when I was 22, in uh, actually probably 23, uh, first year in grad school, I was buying at that time, the first time I had bought all my own groceries, I was drinking probably a gallon of milk a week, eating Greek yogurt like it was my job, and um, eggs occasionally, meat occasionally. So I thought, you know, this isn't this wouldn't be that difficult to implement into my into my lifestyle. So I did it, and I've learned a lot, so much in the last six years. And I've really experimented with what works, what doesn't, what foods do I like, what methods of cooking do I like, what do I not like, and you know the 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 changes that I've seen are certainly, let's go, let's start with cycling, athletics. Uh, I've seen my recovery times go down. So meaning it, it takes me less time to recover between workouts, which is great. I mean, if you take a week, if, if I can fit in six rides in a week and my competitors can only fit in four rides in a week because they're struggling to recover from their hard cycling workouts or whatever sport you play, you're going to become a better athlete. If you, if you take that, if you look over the course of six months or six years, if you can fit in substantially more workouts, you're going to be a better athlete, period. Um, so your recovery time has improved. Uh, I have leaned out um, something that I was never, you know, we just spoke on, 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 uh, for a podcast, for the Ian Kramer podcast. Something that has never really haunted me or plagued me is being overweight, is being unhealthy. I can't say that I've ever, I don't have a history, a family history of chronic diseases. So I was never overweight. Uh, being Losing weight wasn't really a goal of, of going plant-based. But I will say that I'm down about 10 to 15 pounds from when I graduated high school. I'm down to about the low 180s right now. And so that's great. I'm leaning out, which is good for um, becoming an efficient cyclist. And 
So I guess that's the, the cycling benefits that I've seen and really just a ton of energy, um, really easy to eat all that I want and not worry about gaining any weight, always having enough uh, carbohydrates, proteins, fats. It's never been an issue. Uh, so that, I guess, pretty much brings us up to speed. And I've been doing it for about six years, and I feel great, never going back. And I guess now I've I'm, I'm become much, so much more knowledgeable about this, and I want to spread the message to people and say, look, you can not only become a competitive athlete, but you can thrive on life in general uh, and, and shake some chronic diseases to boot. So your, is your main job as a cyclist? Are you a so, professional cyclist? Uh, no, no. Good question. I am a, a certified athletic trainer. I work for University of Rochester here in, in Rochester, New York. And so probably depending on the season, because some seasons are busier in terms of high school athletics, um, I spend, let's say right now in the winter, I spend about half of my time out at a local high school. Uh, we are con we're, The athletic traders are contracted out to local high schools to um, help with the athletes. Help with the athletes, help with the coaches. If you have any sports injuries, come and see me. I have open athletic training room hours there. And then about half of my time is spent in the clinic, in the orthopedic uh, sports and spine rehab clinic where I see my own patients. I bill for services. It's uh, you know patients from as young as I have an 11-year-old right now uh, up to you know mid-70s with various sports-related orthopedic injuries. Very cool. So people that you work with, have you talked to any of them about transitioning their diet? Has there been any success there? Yeah. So people are very curious. Uh, they're very curious about what am I eating? Um, they're very inquisitive. I will say that the, the people I work with are very open-minded. So they're very curious and inquisitive and never, uh, oh, that's stupid kind of thing, which is good. Very helpful. I can't say so. Actually, yes. So a, a, a good example is um, a conversation that I've had with a coworker who uh, I suggested, "Hey, eat some more flax seeds," or or I bring up Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen, and he's like, "Hey, I put some flax seed in my oatmeal this morning." So little things like that. Um, so they're they're certainly curious, and we've had a few potlucks, and I brought in some some dishes, but big big change, no, but. It's it's kind of a slow. What I I make an analogy to. It's a slow drip of information. Is slowly, slowly people are going to notice. They're going to become. They're going to get more comfortable with asking questions. And uh, just I hope that they know that I'm always there to answer questions about my diet and lifestyle. That's great. That's a wonderful way to, to approach it. I was curious. You just said, in when you were explaining your story, how your brother bought you. The Forks Over Knives DVD. Why did your brother do that? That's such an interesting DVD to give to someone. Yeah, I, I guess uh, he must have seen it on social media or must have heard about it um, through some other channel. And he knew that I was, at the time, into nutrition. I was into becoming healthier. Yeah, it was a really good gift. It was a great gift. And um, so it was a, a stroke of luck. Um, but I, I'm assuming that if he hadn't have done that, I would have found this lifestyle at some point in the last six years. But, yeah, it was a great time for that to happen. That's amazing. So has any of your family changed their diet? Uh, s slowly. Again, I believe, yes. Um, I will say growing up, my dad is an avid gardener. So we, in the summers, from pretty much May till October, we ate a lot of fresh vegetables from the garden. Um, we still ate meat. We still ate dairy. And, again, it's the slow drip of information. Uh, and, and I'm always open for questions from anyone, including my family. But, yeah, I, I would say of the changes that I can point to, um, certainly less refined products, things like, for example, like crackers, crackers, rich crackers, are awesome. They're so good. You eat a whole sleeve and you don't end up in the blink of an eye. Uh, reducing those, reducing things like chips, reducing things like um, just dairy, less dairy, just eat less, Redu less meat, L reducing red meat intake, reducing meat intake per week. Those are the examples that I can think of where, again, it's just a slow drip of information. 
um, that they have they have made some changes. Yes. Okay. So now you're. It sounds like your your entire being. I mean, you're an avid athlete yourself. You help other athletes. You talk. You take care of young athletes. So being a mom of all my children played athletic sports. My husband and I are avid runners. My husband's a cyclist, um, hiking. You name it. We've always been very very active. I'm curious because I know I saw things in my own children when they were in high school athletics. For example, Gabriel, my youngest, who can play. He's a catcher. So he made um, baseball. He made the varsity team as a freshman. He was a starting, actually, shortstop, which is a pretty tough position. And then he moved into the catcher the next year as a senior graduated. He would go, when they have double headers, he'll go from catching seven innings, and he'll pitch five or six. Never sore, never, never recovery issue. And parents will come up to me and go, my kid's dying after one game. What are you doing? I'm like, well, look how this kid eats. So tell me, what was your advice to if they had they have any athletes in our audience in nutrition as far as is there anything that you would say you know very specific to a certain type of athlete or all athletes in general what they should be eating the timing anything like that that you found to be beneficial sure so i will say the first the first thing that came to mind is to the athletes that i treat at the local high school here in rochester and you know, I previously I worked at I worked for Alfred University um, as a certified athletic trainer there, and for the Division Three athletes there, I always bring up nutrition in a very subtle way. If an athlete comes to me who's sore, who's suffering from an injury, what I say is, "How's your diet?" And they tell me X, Y, and Z. And I, I never say, "Well, stop eating that, stop eating that." I always say, "Add." I always say, "Add more fruits and vegetables." period. Add more colorful fruits and vegetables. And I explained it a little bit. I, I basically say there's another another saying that I, I like bringing up is there's more to recovery than protein. Protein is such an overemphasized macronutrient these days. And there's many reasons why. Is it necessary? Absolutely. But is it necessary to the extent at which we are being told no? And really, a strong, very, very strong argument can be made that we are eating too much and it's causing a lot of our chronic diseases today. So eat more fruit, colorful fruits and vegetables because there's more to recovery than protein. You need phytochemicals, minerals, vitamins, uh, and uh, I'm missing one, um, uh, antioxidants, let's say. So that's my, one of my main pieces of advice to athletes on nutrition. And it's funny, you, you brought up Gabriel's story. Uh, I, too, made the varsity team as a freshman in baseball. And I was, the, I was the only player on the team when I was in ninth grade to play all six infield positions. I was sort of like, wherever the coach needed me, I was there. So, um, yeah, it, that's, that's great. That's a, that's a really good point about being sore and having endurance and and how kids, you know, under the age, I mean, kids or, or just people under the age of 25 or 30 even, they think that they can eat whatever they want, especially in high school and college. They think that they can eat whatever they want. They're young and that there's going to be no repercussions. There's not, it can't possibly affect me that, you know, in a negative way. And it really can. Um uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming a presentation that I hope to give to colleges and um, like, you know, did I, did I drink a little bit in college? Sure. But when I see and hear of college athletes binge drinking during the season, I'm like, you're nuts. If you think that that does not affect your athletic performance, your recovery and the practice, the subsequent practices in the upcoming weeks, you're nuts. So I, I, so that's another thing that we can, that's probably for another conversation. Um, so I guess my advice to athletes is eat more plants, uh, if, and, and start to learn slowly about, look, recovery is more than just protein. Um, you don't necessarily have to give up meat and dairy overnight if you, if that's what you currently eat, but do an experiment, try it, try to incorporate more uh, fruits and vegetables and plant products in your diet. And I think you will be surprised at your recovery, at your soreness, and at your level of competition. I couldn't agree more. And what I tell people, because I, I work with athletes as well, because I had people so curious, I give a talk called Feel Your Fitness. 
And when we talk about that, I explain the science, but I really like to say, you know, as a doctor too, and seeing the effects of years of investing in poor health. I tell people, you have to think of this as a health savings account, which you start with the day you're born. <laughs> and every decision, you know, like I'm sure you've heard the quote, it's, it's, a, it's a decision to eat either it goes into your, you know, promoting health or you're promoting your death. And I think kids can understand that if you put it in the context of they're going to be faster, recover more quickly, their coach is going to be take notice and be more time on the field. That is what, how I approach it with kids is like it's a matter of, a health savings account, and then I show them how pizza can be delicious and fun. Um, but you're true. Yeah, the college kids, they're a, that's a tough one, too, because they do think of themselves as invincible. Two of my three children have changed their diet. My oldest has yet to. Um, and I think part of it is just because I'm mom telling her she should. And <laughs> with all my education and her going into medical school, um, God help me. I'm, I, I will continue down my path. She's a great kid, but still. I guess she's not such a kid anymore. She's 23. So I, I just, yeah. you know, I know I, you're young too. What are you, 28, 29? 29. Good guess. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. So could be your mom too. <laughs> but it really goes to show because I, you know, I've done Tough Mudders and Spartan races up in Snowmass in Colorado in my 40s with my kids. Okay. That, that tells you that alone, if you will actually feed your body as you get older, as I approach 50, um, it's just a number. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So that is fascinating. I, I love that. Um, so that is very interesting. Is when you mentioned, you know, that about the podcast that you do, and it seems that your focus is with doctors. So why is that? Why are you focusing on the doctors? That's a good question. So the, my podcast is the Ian Kramer podcast, and I want to say, I think. Uh, the birth of the podcast was around the same time as yours. It was, uh, I want to say, real late in 2016, and really, I, I call it January 1st, 2017. But why, why only doctors? Because I feel that we hold doctors in such high esteem, which we should. They're very smart. They're very educated. They mean well. And if people hear this information that diet and lifestyle can affect chronic diseases, if they hear this from doctors, they're going to be more likely to change, in my belief. It's one thing to, to interview someone, a regular non-doctor, non-medical professional, who has lost 200 pounds and is off tons of medications. Great. Good for you. But I felt like, number one, there wasn't a podcast out there that does this, that does just doctors. And number two, uh, let me see if there was a number two. Uh, oh, number two was... I am a fellow medical professional. I am an allied healthcare professional. I can speak the lingo. I'm passionate about this. I've gotten a few compliments over the last, let's say, decade that I have a good spoken voice. So I thought that a podcast would be a terrific opportunity to bring this, bring a service to people and, and, and sort of archive this information in individual podcasts. And the other thing is the way I envision this, I'm looking long-term, and I see if I'm making, let's say, 28 podcasts a year, one every other week, in let's say in five years, I have over 100 podcasts with 100 medical doctors or scholars, as I call it, because actually in a couple weeks in, in um, March, I will be uh, publishing T. Con Campbell, who's PhD. He's not, not a medical doctor, but he still knows a lot. So if, if, I, can, if I have 100 or 200 podcasts of all PhDs, medical doctors, how can people say that this doesn't work? It's one thing for, for someone to read a, a study, one study that's, that's let's say, even, even if the study has six authors and the study says, eat more plants, eat a predominantly plant-based diet, you can reverse heart disease or diabetes. Okay, that's great. But I like these people are live, like on a podcast, 200 podcasts down the road. How can all these these doctors be wrong? That's what I'm hoping people will will see from this podcast is that boy, like that's a lot of doctors saying the same thing. Maybe I'll try it. That that's what I'm getting at. I, uh, I would th I would term it almost like knowledge density. So you're bringing in people with the most knowledge, the most density of their. Uh, experience and bring them together to create a force that's very strong. It's very compelling because now you're like, really? Well, I have 200 people that have MDs after the name or PhDs 
saying something completely different. Tell me how they're wrong in their experience. And imagine the years of experience that you'll collect over however many hundreds of physicians or PhDs that you collect. I mean, that's, that's lifetimes of information. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's a good analogy. Knowledge density. Yep. And let's, let's bring the best speakers forward, have them all on one podcast and hope for the best hope that, you know, the word gets out there that, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having a great time with it so far. I enjoyed just interviewing you and, uh, I have really, really big plans for the future of this podcast. I'm really excited. Well, good for you. I, I, I'm excited to be a part of its early birth. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I understand that we did start our podcast. Mine's a little bit broad. Um, I like to bring in not only just the docs, but also the patients, but people who are looking at the food industry and people who are inspirational for change and lifestyle in general. And um, I just did a, a podcast with, um, I don't know if you know who Dallas Page is, but he was like no. a wrestler. He was in the WWE. Okay. Um, but he hurt his back and he went into yoga and now he's helped all these people lose weight. There's some amazing footage and just their, you know, it's just the passion of helping someone. But he talks about on the podcast about, you know, grass fed beef. And I was like, oh dear. <laughs> I may have oh, to no. edit that out. But yeah, maybe. Yeah. But it, it's very interesting when you talk about um, bringing people in who and really focus. And I think that focus is really key because you can lose your message if you're too broad. So I think that's yeah. fantastic. But I also think in regards to your podcast and many other podcasts out there, they have a particular topic and yours certainly has a particular focus. But I think it's very helpful for you said you you like to turn your patients on to these podcasts. It's helpful to have a wrestler who went plant based and and maybe you have a you have a patient who's in the WWE who's maybe a collegiate wrestler or whatever point push them in that direction if you have uh younger old cyclists maybe you push them in my direction or or um I I know you just interviewed Adam Sud yeah, correct right and so I interviewed him too for, and 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 so he's he's on a YouTube interview but again he was a great interview by the way great guy so everyone has their own focus, and uh, so it, it's it's good to have that kind of variety. I believe too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, definitely. Who was your inspiration to start the podcast? Like, how did that idea start formulating? Okay. In your head? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I had the idea in mid mid to mid to late 2016. I wanted. I had two um, two series on YouTube. One was called Health Rebels, where I wanted to interview people who have taken a plant-based lifestyle and changed their life. People like Adam Sud, people like Tim Kaufman. I was unhealthy. I changed my diet. Now I'm healthy. Very inspirational. And these were these are video-based interviews. The second series I had was called Prescribed Plants, where I wanted to interview medical doctors and scholars who prescribe this stuff to their patients. After a while, it was a lot of work just doing video editing, as I'm sure you're aware, where just, just audio enough, audio is work enough. So video editing was a lot of work. It took up a lot of space on my hard drive. And number three, on my plant-based cyclist Facebook page and through various uh, social media channels, I got quite a few people who said, Ian, I really like these interviews, but I don't have 45 minutes to sit in front of a, t of a computer screen to watch the interviews on YouTube. Would you think about making them into a podcast? And I was like, oh, I'm just getting going. I'm just sort of getting into a rhythm. I was sort of hesitant at first. But then I gave it some thought. I thought about it for like a week. And I thought, this would be perfect because it's less work for me. It still gets the message out there. And why not? Um, so it, that was the inspiration for making the podcast. And... Uh, you know, I guess within making, within doing social media, within podcasting, I guess a couple of my other inspirations are Rich Roll. Like Rich Roll, I can't say that I listen to him religiously. I have, you know, many dozens of podcasts. Love to meet him. Inspirational. Good guy. Uh, number two is, you ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes, that guy is a crack up. Oh he God. is so full of energy. 
and he, I, I, you know, let's say someone cuts this out and sends this little soundbite to him. He is um, very inspirational, and not, he's not necessarily saying everyone go start a podcast. What he's saying is follow what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Um, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what do you want to do for the rest of your life, every day for the rest of your life? Go do that. And I really, I really took that to heart. So I, what do I want to do every day for the rest of my life? I want to interview doctors and scholars, help people with their health and nutrition and their lifestyle, period. Um, and number three is um, Casey Neistat. He's a YouTuber. He's a vlogger. And again, he's just, just the general message, the vibe that he gives off is do what you're passionate about, super high energy. Um, so those, those three people, I would say, just made me want to do something epic, do something big, take on a big project. And it's, it's a labor of love and it's a slow process though. You're not going to make 200 podcasts in a week, but it's what I really, really enjoy. And I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. And that really is key. If you look at the the number of podcasts, I think the most recent number I heard was over 400,000 podcasts in the world. But many of them are abandoned because people don't stick with it because they didn't follow a passion. They're just thinking, oh, this is my way to start them over a quick overnight. No, no. Podcasts take time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they do. They take time to be consistent. And, um, you know, that's why I, I kind of have a log, you know, I'll, I'll collect my interviews and put them out in case I can't, there's a week that I can't or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's, it's fascinating. It'll be fun to, to grow up together. Yes, it will. And something that if, if your listeners are familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, something that he emphasizes all the time is patience, patience, you know, with, with, with anything in life. If you want to become a better cyclist, a better runner, a better podcaster, a better entrepreneur or healthier patience. Uh, luckily, with with the whole health aspect, like we were talking about with the podcast that we just did, with the health aspect, you can reverse type two diabetes in as little as two weeks, or, or you know, let's say let's say even conservatively four weeks. So that maybe will happen a little quicker. But with social media, because there are four hundred thousand podcasts out there, patience, and it's something I I need to keep repeating to myself every day. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to grow up together, and uh, we'll hopefully do a podcast in person someday. Yeah, absolutely. And it, from my understanding, when I've talked to other people who have successful podcasts, it's about a year mark that you start seeing this tilting yep. uh, occur. So, yeah, and I, you know, I'm just trying new things. I'm still, you know, technically challenged at times, and people let me know, and I work on that. I change settings, and it does something, and I'm, I'm like, um, you know, I'm still a one-person show, and so. Same, same. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went to medical school. I didn't go to, you know, I'm not a, an audiophile by any means, but I'm learning. And uh, that's funny. So are there any other sports that you um, are involved in or is it is cycling your life? Cycling is my main passion right now. I When I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, from it was 2000. From 2012 to 2014, I dabbled in triathlons. Um, the company that I worked for had a triathlon store, and so it was pretty easy to get involved. I bought a time trial bike, got into running, um, and that was fun. But but here's a here's a good learning lesson: is you can you can in life in life you can you can quit stuff. You can you know I I wanted to give triathlons a decent try. And after six months of doing it, I said, I don't really like this that much. I don't like swimming, and I don't like running. I like running, like playing pickup basketball. I just don't like running in a straight line. So I stick to what I enjoy. I stick to cycling because it's what I'm passionate about, and it's what I'm good at. With, I get the common question of what exercise should I do to burn the most fat, to lose the most weight? And the answer isn't cycling. It's not running. It's not swimming. It's whatever you're going to do every day, whatever you're passionate about, that's the activity that you're going to lose the most weight in. Because if, you know, I could say, yeah, you burn, technically you burn the most calories cycling. Well, if you don't like cycling, you're not going to stick with it. Um, so anyway, going back, let me, let me digress. Um, there, there, is a, there is an area that I'd like to get into in the next year or two, and that is uh, hiking. I interviewed... This is not on my podcast. It's on a, a YouTube. I interviewed a, a gentleman named Tyler Sokash. 
the brief about Tyler Sokash, he's, he's my age. He hiked 7,000 miles in 11 months. He hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and a trail in New Zealand called Te Aurora. 7,000 miles total in 11 months. Um, he has an Instagram account called Tyler Hikes. He, I interviewed him. Inspirational. He's, he got me into thinking, I want to get out and enjoy nature. And the, the Adirondack Mountains are right in my backyard. It's like a, maybe a three-hour drive. And he and his brother, he and his brother are friends with my younger brother. That's how I met him. Um, they live in Old Forge, New York, which is right up in the Adirondacks. So in the, I set a goal for the next, in the next five-year window, I would like to hike all 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. Now, we're not talking... 14ers here we're, we're talking i think the highest the highest one's mount marcy it's like six grand but um six hundred six thousand feet i should say but it's a challenge and it's something that i i want to i want to dabble in other things i want to live life you know um i'm still going to be cycling but i i want to branch out a little bit so hiking is my next uh my next sport or activity that i want to get into I love hiking, and especially in Colorado in the Rockies Mountains. So for those who don't understand, 14ers are those mountains that are over 14,000 feet, and Colorado has over 50 of them. I think there's 56, if I recall, and we did two in one day, my husband my and uh, my youngest son. And I'll tell you, you can go for it was August. <laughs> you better come prepared because the temperature differential is huge, and you have to get started early and it's a it's an amazing challenge because I was living at you know a mile high, fifty two hundred feet where I was living, but to go up even hiking up to fur, you know that further you it'll take a toll on you even someone who's uh, not used who's used to the elevation. I, I hope to make it out to Colorado again. I've I've been out to visit family and I hope to hike some of those bigger mountains. Let's start small. Let's start in my backyard. Start in the Adirondacks. But I hope to make it up to the much bigger mountains. Um, I. My brother and I took a trip to Parker, Colorado, which is a mm-hmm. suburb of Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say in May of 2012-ish to visit family. And we, when we got there, we're like, oh, no big deal. But it was still it was still pretty high in elevation. Then we took a day trip to Breckenridge, which I think is around 13 or 14 grand, just the town. And we're walking up this little incline to get to a restaurant, and I'm like. I'm out of breath because it's because the, because the air is so thin. It's but. actually like ten thousand, nine to ten thousand feet in Brook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Breckenridge yeah. is a beautiful place. It's a fun little town. Not very plant friendly, but it is uh, a nice little town. Um, so you also do health coaching. I saw on your website. Do you take private clients and help them turn their life around? What do you do there? I do, I do. So that that is a uh, venture that is certainly in its infancy. I've had a few clients call them. Um, in the past, and yes, so it's it's something that I certainly want to expand into, and it's as simple as look if you are if you want to get healthier, if you've heard about a plant based lifestyle and you have no idea where to start, if you want an advocate, someone on your side, someone that you can turn to anytime, text message, email, any form of communication, you, if you want a lifeline, then that's what I'm hoping. That's what I want to provide to people. I want to provide that service to people. Um, and usually, what we've done in the past is like a Skype interview, a one-hour Skype interview. But yeah, the the the, the details of that are are all on my website. It's plant-basedcyclist.com. I wish that hyphen wasn't in there, but I couldn't get uh, the the unhyphenated. So plant-basedcyclist.com. And, uh, you know, links to my social media are all on there. Links to my podcasts are on the website, as well as details on, on the health coaching and, and the public speaking as well. Very cool. So have, has your public speaking begun to take off? Are people asking you to come in and speak to different people? Uh, not, not at that point. They haven't really asked me to come in yet. But I, I, I've taken the, I spoke to the high school that I work at in Rochester. I spoke to... Uh, eight separate groups of high school students on, look at plant-based nutrition and health. Here's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've taken the initiative. I reached out to every single YMCA and every single public library in Rochester. And I said, here's who I am. Here's who I, what I want to do. It's a free class. It's in a free adult class. Can I, can I uh, present? I've, gotten a, I've already presented a few times. I have a few more lined up. And I have a few more that I'm still waiting to hear back from and a few more that I'm still waiting to follow up on. So it's a slow process. It's what I really enjoy. 
I'm a, I'm an okay, I'm a decent public speaker. Um, so I hope that that certainly takes off in the future. I hope to one day, uh, present like Adam Sud at a Forks Over Knives event. I hope to present, uh, I see that you just applied. I saw something on Twitter, maybe that you just applied for a Ted talk. Let's do a Ted talk someday. I'm not saying maybe in a year, but five to 10 years down the road, maybe when I'm, when I'm 35 or 40, I'd love, I'd, I'd love to do that. So, um, that's something that I, I know I will start, I will cultivate and hopefully it will grow. Yes. Yeah. I applied to do the TEDx talk, uh, the mile high in Denver, and you have to have some type of connection to Denver or to Colorado in general. And so what I wrote was going to be about the food addiction in a different model of work that we're doing here. And what they're really looking for is an idea but more than just expressing the idea or the problem with something, but they want to encompass a solution as well. And it's really interesting uh, when you see those talks that actually make it to TED.com. They're different than some of the others because there's some amazing, brilliant people who present, but they just miss the mark. And so that's really the key is what are you actually doing what your audience is there for? You need to give them the whole package. And so I applied just to audition and then after yeah. the audition, I have to fly. It's like an eight-minute audition. So, oh, um, yeah. Good luck with that. I hope so. I uh, I vetted my. You only get five hundred characters on your pitch to be for the audition. It's not words. Five hundred characters. So I had several people look at it, and I think I I put a pretty decent, pretty good one in. Um, certainly ask you to. You know, my last sentence was, uh, let me tell you about the Thin Mint Addict. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, it's, a, it, it's a challenge. I love speaking as well, so I, I, I do enjoy that. But you mentioned something that I really want to just delve into a little bit was it's okay to quit something. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think when people go to change their way of cooking, you know, I talk to a lot of moms and a lot of ladies who are bringing this food home. It's okay to be in the middle of something and quit it. It's just food. Nobody's judging you. You're not going for some type of award. It's just food. It's just right. cooking. It's okay to screw up. It's okay to quit that that dish and <laughs> move on. So, you know, or for example, I love running. I'm an avid runner for 25 years, and I've done one marathon. I did not like the marathon. I love half marathons. Training yeah. for a marathon is too time intensive. I don't have it time in my life, and I love running. But that's okay too. Although people think, oh, you need to keep pushing, going further. It's like, no, I don't. This is, but I don't like cycling. I tried cycling. I did the try. <laughs> I did a few of the try too. I was like, I just my buttocks was not made for this. And so, <laughs> um, but yeah. So, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's considering changing their diet? Um, what would be something that would be like you you find the most valuable piece if you had you know thirty seconds in an elevator with someone? Mm. Uh, be humble, put your ego aside for a second and do it for selfless reasons. Do it for, if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your family, do it for your kids, do it for your grandkids, understand why you're doing it. Understand the reason why the foods you're eating are harmful and why the, the foods you hopefully will start to eat are helpful. But I would say the big thing is just people are so attached to meat and dairy, and you're right. It's just it's just food, um, and and it's you don't need you don't need to eat it to thrive. In fact, a st very strong argument can be made that if you eat it, you won't thrive. So the big thing with that is is looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I don't need to eat animal products to be a good person, to be respected by uh, my, my friends or family, or, you know, just do it for, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for those around you because, I don't know, you know, life is short. And I guess if, man, I, I just, uh, it breaks my heart every time I hear a story, read a story, read an article of, usually it's a celebrity, but even locally, I see an obituary of someone who's 55, 65, who died of a heart attack. Like, they had 30 more years to live, 30 years. And if they just knew that, hey, the food you're eating caused this, 
change? You know, can, can you change? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I said jokingly at the beginning, but I say it half jokingly, half serious. I want to live to be 100. Uh, there was just a gentleman who broke some world record. He was like 105. He set a record on a velodrome for riding like 14. He averaged like 15 miles an hour, and he was like 105 years old. I want to break that record. Um, but, you know, it's life is short, and, and I think I want I want to live – to be in my 80s and 90s, fully functional, riding my bike recreationally. Just try it. You're, you're going to make mistakes. I know this isn't a 30-second elevator speech, but you're going to you're going to make mistakes. You have to understand that with anything in life. You change your diet. You change your job. You change a sport. You're going to learn. There's going to be such a steep learning curve in the first month or two, but then after that, it gets a little easier, and after the first year, it gets a little easier. You're going to learn so much. So be prepared to make mistakes. Be prepared to stumble. But pick yourself right back up. Learn why that mistake happened and say, I'm going to implement solutions to avoid making that mistake in the future. I, I, I'm, I'm a very black and white person, a very objective, very, rarely subjective, very objective. Why did this happen? How can we form a solution to avoid whatever that happened you know, again? So, um, you know, that, that would be my pitch. That's a very good one. I'm curious because you're in your 20s and you what is your message to those 20-somethings who feel that they are invincible and that they don't need to change their diet right now? You know, I've been told by someone dear and close to me, I won't mention her name, Emily Morbis, um, that, <laughs> you know, I like the food that I like, and if something happens, then I'll deal with it then. So what do you what do you do with that? What do you tell those young people? Well, I guess I would tell the young people that realistically, realistically, you have time, all right? But, again, it's the slow drip of information on these people. It's, look, man, like, you know, I see, here's the other thing, and you obviously would never say this to someone's face. I see so many young people, I'm talking 35 and below, in their 20s, 30s, that are overweight. Just just like they're, they're unhealthy. They're so overweight. And they're so young. And even, even down into high school. And it's going to catch up with you someday. And I guess it, it's the slow drip of information that I would say to these, these 20 and 30-year-olds that you can make slow changes over time. You can slowly phase out meat dishes, dairy, animal products, and just simply incorporate more plant products every day. You don't necessarily have to do this cold turkey, but it is the healthiest for you. It is the healthiest for your family. Um, so that's a tough one. That's a real good question because it's one thing to speak to a 65-year-old with diabetes or, or, um, or who's already had a heart attack, let's say, and, and, and scare them into saying, you know, how, how did you feel having a heart attack? Let's prevent that. But, you know, you're right. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds usually don't have heart attacks. Um, you might be able to bring up family history, too. Like, hey, do you, have, do you have a family history of X, Y, and Z? So I would just say being real with them. Not I feel like we were speaking in our interview about um, vegans being pushy. I am the epitome of not being pushy. I, if people have questions, I will answer them. <coughs> Excuse me. A slow drip of information. But if they, if I sense that they have turned me off, I zip it. Because you can, you can lead a horse to water. You can give them information. You can't make them drink. So, yeah, there, there's that. And and I, I you know, if, if I continually put myself out there and say that I'm available for any questions you have, they will eventually. Some of them will, some of them won't, will come back to me and start to open up a little more and ask more questions. Yeah, I think this is a sense of law of attraction. So what you put out comes back to you. So, for example, as the years have gone that I've been doing this, I find that now I have more and more opportunities that have come in front of me that people are already prepared for that change. I tend to be more pushy. Um, I'm not certainly... Uh, someone who's, you know, in your face saying you're wrong, whatever. But I bring out, you know, as a physician, I'm willing to use whatever I need to. If I need to pull out the MD, I'll pull out the MD. Because this is where I'm going to make 
changes. If I only get you for five minutes, at least I've planted that seed. And that, that is, that is my approach. It's a, why wouldn't you change? Why not? Yeah. Well, well, certainly you and your environment, uh, these people are coming to you because you are the expert on whatever, whatever it is on, on health and medicine. And they are, you, you have a captive audience. They're sitting there listening to you. So I think certainly you can afford to be a little more pushy and say, I'm an MD. I've been doing this for X number of years. I've seen these health improvements. You said you, you tell them those stories, which that's, that's huge. Whereas me, yeah, I work with high schoolers, but really you, we brought up my colleagues and my, my, um, my coworkers. I can't really be pushy to them because that I'm going to turn them off as coworkers. And now they're going to be, they're going to hate me for the, the rest of the time that I'm there. So it, it certainly depends on your environment, who, what people are around you. And yeah, it, it totally depends. Yeah. No, I could be at a dinner though. And it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll just say it the way it is, but that's me. I feel like there's such an urgency because I've seen and I deal with people who ignore that. Um, What's really interesting with the young people is finding something. For me, it's easy to talk to moms with little kids because moms want what's best for their babies. Dads want what's best for their kiddos. We can do that. I can talk to even some high school kids because they're in the what the they don't want to have acne and they want to lose some weight or they want to be athletics. But you get to these college kids. So, you know, the majority of kids aren't, you know, college athletics they're just trying to make it through life they're trying to enjoy the social party you get these young 20s they're busy with getting married starting business doing jobs that is a really tough segment those 20 year olds as we get into the 30s we start seeing hypertension we start seeing some early signs of type 2 diabetes pre-diabetes so i find that even that is a little easier but that 20 year old segment but that is the population that's gonna really affect change so is everything okay Sorry about that. Yeah, my my floor was literally shaking, oh and there was there was a helicopter outside that was shaking my floor. So sorry oh, about wow. that. I was I was I was a little scared. <laughs> um, but yeah, lo, let me um yeah. So the twenty year olds, yeah, it's like as soon as I'm out of mom and dad's house, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. And you're right, that is a really difficult age group to connect with. But I I want to offer a solution, and and I hope that I can be involved in in colleges in the future to do this is. If they were provided better choices, let's say in the dining halls, um, for a lot of college campuses, I know you can't live off campus until you're like, let's say, a junior or something. And, um, you know, if you're living in a college dorm, it's really, really hard to prepare your own food. So, hey, you go to the dining hall. The dining halls, certainly some are better than others, I think, offer such poor choices for college students. You have your hamburgers, your hot dogs, your French fries, your pizza every day. Now, I'm, tr- I'm thinking back to the, my undergrad. Yeah, they had a salad bar. I just don't think there's enough good choices, enough healthy choices. So if you provide them with more healthy choices and maybe slowly over time start to eliminate the really like egregious foods that are just – that are doing nothing but harming our bodies – you're going to see more students who are more health conscious, for sure. Um, you're certainly not going to change all of them. But if you provide, if, if you, uh, what's the saying from Field of Dreams? If you, if you build it, they will come. If you provide more opportunities to eat healthy foods and not all this fried stuff and, and, and oil-laden and fat-laden food, then you're going to have healthier students. That's my, that's my belief. Yeah, I think that's that goes to the convenience factor. So if you have, let's say, a fast food drive-through and it's healthy but delicious and quick and affordable, which it can be, um, you know, if we quit subsidizing the meat and dairy industry and actually put that towards, you know, providing the foods that are going to heal our nations instead of making us sick, the convenience factor is huge because we are in such a, a fast-paced society. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right there. And I think environmentally, I think that's maybe a different way instead of from the health aspect, but affecting some environmentally because they're inheriting this world. And what are we doing to it? Uh, We've done a fine job of destroying it. And um, I know my daughter, that might be something that would affect her. She's very scientific, you know, 
uh, educated. Um, but that might be the one thing that would say, yeah, you know, my one step, I can actually stop eating this way and actually help turn the tide. Absolutely. Um, and in the same note, she'll have, you know, better health for it. So, um, yeah, that's my prayer for the young, the 20 years, the 20, the millennials, you guys. <laughs> I don't know. Are you in the millennial? I don't even know when the millennial cutoff is. I, I don't know either. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're in the gray zone. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I always like to end the podcast with a huge vote of thanks and appreciation and um just really say thank you for all the folks that you're going to help and will be helping. And I'm so excited. If there's anything I can do to help uh, you get to where you want to go, please, I'm always available. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just impressed by to be so young to make such huge changes. You, you got a bright future ahead of you. I'm trying. I'm trying hard. It's a slow process, like I said, but it's something that I'm so passionate about and that I'm so willing to take the time to educate people, speak to people about with an open mind and an open heart. I try to make things, this is something I didn't mention before, but I try to make things on my social media, particularly the Plant-Based Cyclist Facebook page, so simple. I, I try to take all of the complexity out of this lifestyle. Can we make it really complex? Sure. It's not. You know, there's no calorie counting, there's no pills, there's no powders, there's no supplements, unless you're talking maybe B12 on occasion, and, and let's say D if you're living in the Arctic tundra like me. But you don't have to worry about when, how much to eat, when to eat. It's just, it's very simple. And I try to make, put out content on the page that's very simple in order to draw people in and just say, you can do this. You, you can definitely do this. Right. It's just like I say, obliterate the obstacles. Just make it, <laughs> make it a no longer excuse. It's an invalid reason to not yeah. try this. So, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, I will end it there. And thank you again, Ian, for joining me on the Dr. Lori Marks podcast. Thank you, Lori. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.